dramatic, right? Hey, would you join with me in prayer? Let's just ask God to bless us. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, your word is powerful. It's living and active. And I ask that you'd specifically speak to everyone's heart today. Uplift them and guide them by the word. And, and Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hey, welcome to this place once again. Uh, so glad you could be here because joy is found in this place. Peace is found. Hope is restored all because of Jesus and his unfailing love. He has destroyed death and brought immortality to light through the gospel. He is a, a victor, a champion, and this for us. Good to see you this morning. And I'm going to ask for your helpful participation today and attention. I have a bit of a cold today, so if you could help me out by being good listeners, I'd really appreciate it. And if I faint today, it is not the Holy Spirit, it is actually just the cold. So, just, just for what it's worth, throwing it out there. Well, as we get going today, um, have you ever been in this dichotomy where uh, you, you want people to do as you say, but not necessarily as you do? For example, if you have uh, an employee and, and you want them to be neat and organized and maybe good planners, but you're not really neat and organized, and please don't walk into my office, uh, but you tell them to be that, uh, you, you say, do as I say, and well, not as I do. Or maybe it's a parent, right? Uh, our, our parenthood, you know, and, and none of us are perfect, and so we say, you need to eat this, and no, you cannot have dessert every night, and then when they go to bed, you do have a bowl of ice cream and a nutty bar with milk, and it's, it's fantastic, but no, you cannot do, do as I say and not as I do. I, I came across a good comic strip of this, dad, can I go play video games, did you finish your homework, well, what about you, did you finish cleaning the garage, and so they both play video games. At least he's honest, right? <laughs> you know, as, as we've come together and talk about hypocrisy, it's really a dichotomy, again, between this is what I, I say and this is actually what I do. In fact, the Greek word for hypocrisy is hypocrites, which is where you get hypocrisy from. It means to put on a mask. And it kind of reminds me of what actors do to play the part. Uh, a very famous actor that, that I enjoy a lot of his roles is named Christian Bale. Do you guys know Christian Bale? I've enjoyed Christian Bale from the first time I recognized him, which is as a newsie. Do you remember that musical? And uh, he still is my favorite Batman. Uh, but then he's played these other roles, and look at some of his dramatic transformations. Right? Pretty crazy, all that he did to get into character. In fact, recently I was listening to an interview, and I was hearing him speak, and my wife and I were both caught off guard because um, of his British accent. He's played an American so much that we forgot, oh, he's actually from the UK. Wow, crazy, right? And that's what a hypocrite is, Christian Bale. <laughs> um, it's the difference between his American accent and his real native tongue. It's the difference between him playing a part and, and who he actually is. And so if we want to get a working definition of hypocrisy, and if you're taking notes, here is that working definition, that hypocrisy is the difference between what we show and who we actually are. Now, the reason this is so germane, so apropos, is because we've gathered on Sunday morning. And Christians are famous for a good show. Aren't we? For example... Uh, this could be your typical Sunday morning. You wake up, you don't feel so well. You have a little tussle with your spouse. You're yelling at your kids all on the way to church. And when you get to church and people ask how you're doing, you say, well, praise the Lord. God is good. Good all the time. 
It's all grace here, you know. I know none of you can resonate with this example, right? We've never done this at all. Now, let's be fair. It's not bad to put your best foot forward, is it? It's not bad, kind of like when you go to an interview or on a first date, to say, I want to be the best version of myself. But as I explore this concept of hypocrisy, what's bad and, and where the struggle is, is when we fake ourselves out. When it's no longer, you know, my best foot forward, when now it's being inauthentic. When now I, I, I force a lie in order to give off a certain impression versus being genuine with all my ups and downs, the reality of life and what's actually going on. And, and when God looks at that, when, when we're trying to lie and fake others out for the sake of impression, he says, you know what? I don't do that. You know what? I, I don't really like that form of religion. And, and today we're going to see why. And I think it's a little bit different because it's, it's not, again, bad that, that we're trying to bring our best on Sunday morning. I don't think that's a bad thing. But we are going to explore what is the error of hypocrisy. So let's get into the word. And, and today we look at um, the Pharisees. And if there was anything Jesus would undo, it's probably the Pharisees. Um, this whole series could just be on the Pharisees and the way they approached God. And, and what we're going to see is some of the hardest language that Jesus ever uses. In fact, Jesus is going to name call. He, he's going to call them blind and hypocrites over and over and over. And actually, I need to teach a little on this. Um, God, in his reaction with people, when, when he experiences someone who is stubborn and hard-hearted, he usually approaches someone who is very hard with hard. So, so again, if you're ever stubborn, if you're ever hard-hearted, one of the reasons he might be, again, approaching you with a level of hardness or, or thumping you on the head or, or really making it tough is because he's trying to wake you up. And that's what he was doing with the Pharisees. Whereas if you observe his um, walk with, like, the woman caught in, in a sin, his walk with Zacchaeus, who, who confessed his stealing, he was very soft and tender. And that's also a dichotomy. If you remain humble by your sin, soft, he, he remains humble and tender and merciful towards us. But beware, this is his activity. With the hard, he will be hard and harsh. With the soft, he can be soft and, and merciful. But are you ready for the hard? So we're going to look at Matthew 23. I'm going to invite you to follow along, either on the worship folder, the screen before you, and, and we're just going to pick it apart this morning. Uh, here it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Strong language. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to the people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. But here's the thing, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And yet you were not willing. 
This is the word of God. Very strong section of scripture, isn't it? Uh, could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, stop the show. Stop the show. Stop the show. Let's have fun in the word of God. I wonder, um, is there anyone willing to admit they are reluctant to go to the doctor? Anyone reluctant to go to the doctor? It's maybe been 15 years since your physical, you have to be almost on your deathbed before you go see them because you just, you, you don't want to see the doc. Um, I am the opposite. I don't mind going to the doctor. Um, this past week I had a cold and I wasted everyone's time because I met with them, wasted time and money, and they just said, yeah, take DayQuil and NyQuil. But that's, that's just me. I'm no soldier. If you have something for my pain, please. Um, right. Um, but, but let's just create a hypothetical situation here. Let's imagine that someone is sick, they don't want to go to the doctor, but they're giving TED Talks and conferences over how healthy they are and how everyone should do life like them. For the sake of this example, let's say it was an undiagnosed diabetic who is doing conferences on the benefits of increased sugar take, right? So would you go to a conference or hear a TED Talk for a diabetic speaking about the benefits of increased sugar intake? Probably not. I, I wouldn't recommend it. And, and why I bring up this ridiculous scenario, a diabetic giving a conference on the benefits of increased sugar take, is that's the Pharisee. As we look at our lesson today, the Pharisee thinks he's healthy. He's good. In fact, he thinks he's so good that he should be telling others, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to not do, follow me. But Jesus, the true doctor, sees right through this. In fact, in his first verse, um, what, what we see is this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces because you yourselves do not enter. Basically, you are not healthy. You can't see it, but you have a disease. You don't know you're on the wrong page, but you are. And because you are and you continue to teach, uh, those who are trying to enter, those who you're teaching also do not enter. And we learn something about hypocrisy. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this, that hypocrisy has the ability to convince you you don't need help. And that's a straight-out lie. It's interesting that as you observe Jesus walking with the Pharisees, never once do they come and ask a sincere, please let us know, please help us. They're always trying to show how he is wrong, trap him, or teach him a thing or two. Which the equivalent would be if I went to my doctor and I tried to convince them, no, actually, doctor, you're wrong. WebMD says, right? It's foolishness. And yet that is where they are. Now, now how does this relate to you or to me? Well, we might struggle with this form of hypocrisy if you've ever thought things like this. You know what? I kind of like God. I, I like this Jesus figure but I'm not sure why I need him. You know, when I look at my, my sinfulness, I, I know other people have problems and sins and, and they need forgiveness, but you know what, I'm, I'm not sure why I do, or at least this week. Or maybe it's this, God, I, knew I, I know I needed you for salvation. I, I couldn't do it on my own. But you know, this current situation, I got this. You know, I don't need your help. In fact, I'm going to get through on the other side. I'm writing my TED Talk of how I got through it already. If you can relate to any of this, of saying, I'm strong enough and I don't need your help, beware of the hypocrisy that might have faked yourself out from need for God. 
In fact, what God's reaction to this is, well, it breaks his heart. Because he's built to meet needs. But he can't meet the needs of those who aren't asking for help. Before this section started, Jesus shared uh, this scripture with them. He said, you know, here, here's the dichotomy. If you want to exalt yourself, and I reframed it, if you're sure about your own strength, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, if you're sure about your weakness and your, your desperation, you'll be exalted. So I don't know if you've ever faked out your need for help. For me, it was back in college. Uh, I was uh, going back, actually, to my college. They were having a softball tournament, and um, my buddy uh, um, at the time asked if I needed a place to stay, and I gave off the impression that, um, no, I'm, I'm a really good planner. I got it all figured out. I don't need a place to stay. Just drop me off here. So I asked him to drop me off at one of the dormitories at MLC, but I, I hadn't lined anything up, and so that whole night I just looked for a place to sleep. I didn't know anyone. I was aged out of my college, so I ended up in the basement on wrestling mats in the middle of their gymnasium. That was not a great night of sleep. But these are the consequences, and I don't know if you've ever been there. If you give off the impression, no, I don't need help, I'm good. You live with the results. So what is it for you? Maybe for you it's a temptation for salvation. No, I don't really need you, Jesus. I kind of like you, Jesus, but I don't need you. I'm good. Not recognizing your need for full and free forgiveness at the cross. Maybe for others it's just an area of your life. You know, God, when it comes to my work, I don't really need your advice. I'm, I'm good there. When it comes to marriage, I'm good. Uh, when it comes to this or that, I'm good, Lord. I, I don't need it. And this couldn't be further from the truth. So I need to remind you of this principle. The strongest position you can be in is asking for help. Uh, the weakest position is thinking you don't need it. And where is Jesus in all of this? Where is his heart for us? I love verse 37. Verse 37, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings you are not willing. What we see in this is that Jesus wants to help even the most hard-hearted. He doesn't care how often they've rejected. If they would just return, he would return to them and help and be their, their, their need meter. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of God had a track record of rebellion said, God, I don't need you. We have these other gods. God, I don't need you or want you. We have this other way of using the gift of sex. God, I don't need you. We're going to be prosperous through this or that nation or country. And so God punished them. He sent other nations to attack them. He allowed them to go into exile in Babylon. And yet the whole time he was willing to return if they would just relent. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah said, the Lord Almighty says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. His actions kind of remind me of someone who's ever called your bluff. Maybe sometime you give off the impression that you didn't need help, but someone said, well, just in case. I know you said you didn't need help moving, which is always a lie. Have you ever had too many hands moving? I know you, you said you didn't need help moving, but here I am just in case. 
I know you said you didn't need the car, but I'm going to leave it home just, just in case. I know you said you didn't need this tool or this meal that you were covered, but, but just in case. That's the heart of Jesus. He's been right by you through every hill and every valley. And he's saying, you know what, just in case, if you would need me, call on me, and I'll be there. And what I've found is every time that I let my guard down and I let him in and I just cry for help, he's so good at answering. The psalmist, he said this. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God's been so helpful in areas of my life that he's now become the answer for everything. In fact, people come and they ask me, well, what should I do in marriage? You know my answer? Jesus. Because I've found that he's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the one who can help you to get this right with unfailing love. People come and ask about finances. You know what my answer is? Jesus. See, he clothes flowers and he feeds birds and he says I'm always going to be provided for so I just, I've learned to depend on him whether it be feast or famine. People ask me about how to work and I, and I say, well, Jesus, because not every boss will like you and, and coworkers won't always get along, but, but I, can, I can serve that one boss who's always overlooking what I do. And I can work with integrity knowing that that matters because he always sees when it comes to handling my body. Jesus, because he made me, he formed me, and I'm just a steward of what is his. I don't want to take care of what he gave, not with a sense of vanity, but just because I love Jesus. And it all started through my salvation. Because when I was broken and a mess, when I had no answer for my sin, Jesus did. His blood paid the price for my forgiveness. His resurrection sealed the victory so that I can not only be a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. And so I ask you, what's your answer for times when you need help? I hope you can see it's Jesus. I hope you can recount stories when he showed up, not only for your salvation, but in this time of need and in that time of need, that he was faithful to you. And I want you to know if you're new to Christianity or you don't consider yourself a Christian, he is available to you. That he has died in your place to forgive all of your sins and give you a victory that cannot be taken away. This is the, the glory of the gospel. But how do we get to a position where we're crying for help sooner? Where we're not so slow to, to go to Jesus? Well, to talk about this, we're in an interesting time of year, aren't we? January is always filled with New Year's resolutions and the extra emphasis on health. And uh, I love this meme that I saw on Facebook, the gym in December versus the gym in January. In fact, uh, I was watching YouTube and I saw a five-minute ad that was just all about superfoods, superfoods I had no idea about. Monk fruit, which I guess is a replacement for the poison we call sugar. Um, beets, I guess are really good for stamina. Turmeric, which I don't know where to buy turmeric, but anyway, turmeric, buy turmeric. Um, all these things that are superfoods, right? Some of you know, wheatgrass, it's all good. And, um, and what I've come to learn, you know, especially over time as we age, is that usually what we put into our bodies is how we feel. In fact, there's a phrase for this, that if you put good in, you get good out. 
Which, ironically, you know who owns the trademark for that phrase? Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do it for their Minute made orange juice, but, uh, but you put good in and you get good out. So, not true with Coca-Cola, but anyway. And, and maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're at an age like I am, where if you go and you eat a, a greasy meal that tastes really good with a lot of French fries, yeah, that, that tastes really good, but it affects your body. And it affects your body differently than if you ate a salad or something healthy. It's just uh, what your body's telling you. You put good in, you get good out, right? Well, we've not gathered uh, for, for diet advice, and actually I'm probably not real good for that. Uh, but we have gathered for how do we clean the soul? And, and Jesus is leading us to see that, you know, if, if you put good in, it's, it's, you, you'll get good out. In fact, he said, if you clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be clean. You Pharisees are only concerned about the outside, but, but really it's the inside that matters. And what he's showing us is this, that, that again, if there's good on the inside, it will show on the outside. And maybe this is why our society has very low tolerance for hypocrites. Because we can sense a disturbance in the force. We have learned how to be a, a lie detector. We have learned to snuff out a fake. When someone tries to say a certain thing, but we know they're not doing it, it just doesn't resonate. Whereas, when we're about what is truly good, people sense that as well. People sense, you know what, I, I think they actually just cared for me. You know, I think they, they were kind of weird, but I think they were trying to be nice. In fact, the scripture says this. Scripture says, you know what? The sins of some are obvious, and it reaches a place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them, but in the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot be remain hidden forever. Maybe that's an encouragement to some of you. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when our inside is clean, it will show on the outside. So the question then, I can eat wheatgrass and turmeric to clean my body, but how do I clean my soul? How do I clean the inside of the dish Jesus is talking about? Well, here I believe that answer is through repentance. You know, I would confess that we're not so good at repenting today. In fact, I, I think if you meet someone who is willing to say, I'm sorry, you've met a man or a woman with integrity. Because I don't know about you, but my experience is not always to hear I'm sorry. Is it yours? My experience is to hear blame. My experience is to hear excuses. My experience is for me to be the chief among those people. But what is Repentance. Repentance is simply saying, I don't have it all together. In fact, I need help. I'm sorry. The three parts of repentance are just this, coming to God saying, man, I'm broken. Help me. Forgive me. Number two, it's saying, I trust that you have helped me through Jesus Christ. And number three, it has now helped me to get this right in the future. See, when we repent, I think all that heaven hears is help. And all that heaven wants to respond is saying, yes. It's exactly what we do up here. So I believe if you want to continually be clean on the inside, it'll be about not just one time saying I'm sorry and mostly to our Heavenly Father, but going back again and again and again 
immediately, sincerely, no excuses, breaking it down, just saying, help, I'm broken, I'm lost without you, I don't have hope without you, help. And God says, yes, my son, yes, my daughter, every time, absolutely, paid in full, set free, at peace. We lose nothing in repenting and gain everything. You know, Martin Luther, he was pretty big on repentance. Some of you Martin Luther scholars may know that the first of his theses was all about repentance. Uh, the theses against the Catholic Church is 95 arguments against them. Number one was this, that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Right? One that says, I haven't gotten all right. I need your help. God says, yes, I have helped you. In fact, another great pastor today, his name is Tim Keller. You can listen to podcasts. He's a great preacher. Um, Tim Keller, he said this about repentance. He said, pervasive, all of life repentance is the best sign that we're growing deeply and rapidly in the character of Jesus. You know what I dream of this community? That we'd be so willing to say, I'm messed up. What about you? And I'm sorry, I've probably messed up against you and you and you. But Jesus is the answer. And I don't condone my sin, but, but I need you to know how truly broken I am. But I found the perfect one, the one who heals and helps. We don't have to put on airs. We can just be broken and then held in the hands of our Father. That's what I believe a church community is all about. Coming and saying, I don't have it all together. And when we do this, do you know what God does? <laughs> you guys know I'm a party animal. I often tell people, pastor is Greek for party animal. I just know where the true party is. It's not here. But God talks about parties. And he talks about it in the subject that we're referring to. One of the greatest chapters of the Bible is Luke 15. And he says, you want to make heaven party? Oh, Luke 15. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who, can you say that word? Who? Absolutely. And then it went on and told this beautiful story of, of a son who was so broken and so lost, so broken and lost and basically written off the father, spent all his money, said, I wish you were dead, I just want your money. And he was so broken he was eating what pigs ate and longed to eat that. But then he came back and he just simply said, help he just simply said, I got it wrong. I, I need some mercy, help. And what did the father do? The father partied. That's what he did. Because that's what our God does every time he hears from earth, help. He parties because that's how he was made, to be a need meter, to be our help and our strength in every situation. And so I tell you, no matter what you're facing today, whether it be for your salvation or your help in any other circumstances, when you cry out, help, I need you, he says, yes. He throws a party and he responds. Every time, in his own time, in his own way, but he says, yes. So may God so help you to be broken and be real with that. And then the world will see all they need to see. Because if we're real with that, you know what I think they'll see? They'll see a group at Amazing Love who are all broken, but they can sense they're humbly dependent on one who has helped them.
That's what the world needs. And that's how we help the world. God bless and amen. Please stand.